Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Hello and welcome to Countryside here on Manx Radio. I'm Simon Clark. And I'm Kiri Kermud. This week I popped along to the Southern Beekeepers Honey Tasting Evening. I went along and found out how the ploughing was going at the Northern Young Farmers ploughing match and also took a trip to the Parish Hall in Andreas to the Ramsey Fur and Feather Society show. Well, the nights are getting lighter, Kerry, already. Oh, isn't it yeah. brilliant, Simon? Half an hour at least at the minute, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, well, I was out uh, scratching one evening this week and heard the bleating of young lambs uh, already. It's hard to believe, place. isn't yeah. it? It's t- come round so blooming quick. But a good spell of weather. It's been quite nice and it is always nice. The temperature's quite warm, isn't it? So yes. I suppose it's ideal for them to be out in the fields. But yeah, this nights yeah. are lovely, aren't they? And you can do anything, you know, sort of weather-wise, as long as you can get to the animals, isn't it? That that's the battle. I mean, it's a little. The gates are a little bit boggy, but the the equipment they've got now, it's easy to get in to feed them, isn't it? It's, uh, it's when the roads are blocked with things that's when it gets difficult. Oh, it is awful tricky when they've had lots and lots of days of rain and wet weather. The land becomes so sodden at this time of year. But now, hopefully, on the run down into spring, you know, things could pick up. We're always positive here at Max Radio, mm, aren't we? Yes. But uh, no, like you say, access in the fields has been okay so far. Other years can be so tricky. No, well, of course, uh, the weekend that's just been, the Northern Young Farmers Plan match was can't, uh, postponed on the Saturday because of the weather. It did a lot of rain uh, Saturday night into Sunday morning. But it went ahead on the Sunday uh, to the Marrakane Field on the Bretley Farm. Uh, kind permission of the Macmillan family there. And a good turnout. Um, and there was uh, all sorts of machinery, old and new ploughing. And conditions were, were quite good for the job. And I caught up with uh, one of the regulars, Chris Clegg. You've got the, the old grey outfit today, Chris. <laughs> How's it going? It's going all right up to now, I think. Thank you. Um, it is an old tractor. It was built in 1948 and converted to diesel in 1953. Right, was that the only the sort of removal of the petrol part yes. of an engine and the diesel? And petrol same chassis. engine. Petrol engine. Yeah. It's just the engine that's changed, nothing else has. Right. But the plough is a bit later than that. Um, but it's, it's blackening the ground, that's all it came for. <laughs> well, the original Ferguson plough, um, I suppose, looked a little bit shorter than this one, is it? Yes, um, I have got a Ferguson plough, which I do use and have used for a while for match ploughing, and it is shorter. Um, the legs are not quite as long coming out to the back, and the mole board's a little bit shorter. But it is the genuine Ferguson plough Whereas this is a Massey Ferguson plow. Right. Well, what's the main? Uh, was the Massey one later? Yes. Yeah. Yes. These was, these were built from 1960. Right. Whereas the Ferguson plows were finished in 1959. Right. When you look at the mould boards on this, some of them they've got the squares in them. They had like little ears on them for cutting the the tops of the of the of the furrow when you done it these don't have them no this this doesn't do that this is just general purpose plowing right um the ones with the blades on the back sometimes are for the manx style plowing sometimes are they for, for the down the field further there's some of the boys in there plowing in the world class right and that's a different thing altogether different style of plowing 
Right. But um, it's been quite a bit of rain, but the, the fields up here north are howling up well. This field is brilliant. Yeah. It's really, really good. I mean, the, the, the boys put the match off from yesterday till today, and I think it was a very wise decision. Uh, no four-wheel drive or nothing on this fella. Well, there isn't. No, no. no but you wouldn't have got in the field. You right. know, that if it was raining down here like it was in Colby yesterday morning, it wasn't fit to be outside. Never mind in the field. <laughs> so when did when did you get a when did you get this tractor here, Chris? When did you acquire this one? Um, I've had this tractor for about six years, I think. Uh, it belonged to a friend of mine in Port St Mary, and it's claim to fame. It's the tractor that was put on its side the night following the last Sulby show um, on Starwood Farm. Somebody got it going and managed to turn it onto its side and left got it. Got it going and shouldn't have got it going. And shouldn't have got it going. Right. I mean, I helped him to park the tractor the night before and I know the battery lead had been taken off. Really? So whoever did it knew what he was doing. Oh. But anyway, we, it's salvaged and uh, I've done a little bit of work on it. And yeah, it's a good ploughing tractor. Yeah, well, I suppose the, the simple enough. You look at um, the big Fent tractor that's there, 200 odd horsepower. Uh, how many's in this one? This one is 32 brake horsepower. Yeah. It's only a three cylinder engine. It's a Perkins yeah. three cylinder engine. As I said before, it's a conversion set that they did when petrol became too expensive. And uh, it'll, it'll plough along all day. It, it's a very good, if you've got. Well, if you've got two or three furrows behind it, she, she, it'll cope with that all really? day long. Really? Yes. Well, I've ploughed with... I have got a three-furrow plough, and I've used it on this tractor, and it's, it's no bother to it. The traditional 56-pound weight on the well, back of there? Well, just part of the match ploughing <laughs> kit. <laughs> but it, uh, it is an art to this, isn't it? And you can take great pride in, in looking back at this plough, and especially when the sun's shining on the top of it oh, today, yes. isn't it? Yes, it looks well when the sun shines on it, right enough. Um, but it is an art, and maybe, I don't know, maybe it's a dying art, because there's not as many ploughing now as the one it was when I started. Yeah. And I've been ploughing that many years. No, um, and, and, and this is the thing, there won't be as many in agriculture, but, it, but a, sure lot of the people, a lot of the people that are here, though, probably didn't plough when they were younger. Some didn't. Um, I mean, my, my family were not into farming. Although I did spend a lot of time on a farm when I was at school, which is probably where I get this idea from. Uh, and I used, to, I learnt to drive tractors and work with people and work with machinery on the farm, um, which is where, as I say, I get the, would you call it, a grounding from. Yeah. Um, and in fact, there was um, a time when I helped to set the match plow with um, Mr. Raymond Gorn. Yes. And um, goes back a long time. And Ray's been a friend of mine for a long number of years, and he still comes to the ploughing matches with me sometimes. But there's a the great camaraderie amongst everybody, isn't it? Everybody, oh, everybody's so. studying it and panicking in case somebody else <laughs> is better, but always willing to help if something falls off. Oh, yes, or, that's, yeah. that's absolutely yeah. right. If you've got a problem, the boys will come and help you. Yeah. You know, and, and at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter who wins, you've had a day out and you've done some ploughing and that's really what it's all about. Chris Clegg there from Colby tell me about uh, the tractor and the plough and uh, how he got started in the world of the ploughing competitions and saying there that, you know, he, 
He wasn't necessarily had a farm of his own, but as he got older, he acquired the tractor and the plough and just got into it. And such a a great crew, you know, helping each other out if something falls off the plough or, you know, when they're up and coming and learning. Because there's always plenty of knowledge and experience there, isn't there? Well, this is it. Ploughing is such an essential part of agriculture. Even in this day of age of all of the technologies and whatnot, them basic skills are so, so important to create a lovely seedbed for that crop that year and them old boys you know spreading that knowledge down through all the young ones there joining in the young farmers clubs is so important you see some of them go ratcheting across the field and they're digging for australia but it only needs to be a couple of inches and and once they start learning and going to events like that and like you say you don't have to be a farmer to go and try a new skill who knows it could be a great hobby i know some will be satisfied with a couple of inches i wouldn't have thought but they i didn't see tom kermode there no no be busy feeding the cows this time of year but uh we have kenneth cool for the southern contract in there he comes along and does a great job each year and and many other good contractors in the south that will come around the farms and, and get on with it fairly soon i suppose okay well not many bees flying at this time of year but uh, a mighty event that was on that you attended oh fantastic event the southern beekeepers and all of the beekeeping associations around the Isle of Man are so good to promote how important it is the bees are in the circle of life and I popped along to the Viking in Castletown where the southern beekeepers were having a honey tasting evening. Silla Platt, a lovely evening here at the Viking in Castletown. The seven jars we've had tonight, all from the south of the island, tasting exceptionally different. Yes, people tend to think of honey as a, a little jar of something runny that you buy in the supermarket. But if you buy local honey, you'll suddenly realise it's got a flavour. It really has. But not only that, different colours, different textures. I know a lot of work goes in from, from the beekeepers for the different, the different textures in particular. But the variety of tastes, what creates it? Well, it's, it is just to do with flowers. It's really strange. You know, we had a really hot summer a couple of summers ago. And the flora that produced must have been totally different because everybody had a very pale honey that year and we don't know what it was because no, none of us have got strong enough microscopes <laughs> to actually look at the pollen inside. But uh, nowadays, one or two of us are actually having the honey looked at and checked for the types of pollen that are in it. That is absolutely fascinating, isn't it? And with that sunshine that year in particular, Silla, did it make the honey sweeter? They believe sunshine makes everything sweeter. <laughs> No, I, I mean, <laughs> honey is sugar, isn't it, after all? So, no, it's it, the different types of sugars, the fructose and the sucrose in it, it is the sort of balance between the two that changes the, some of the change of flavour. But it's also, it is the, the flowers that they go to, and we have a, a nice diversity of flowers around the place. And one of their favourites, of course, the back end, is, is uh, fuchsia, which is not a native, is it? <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's... it's they love it. It's quite hard work for them to get it, but it is a very useful autumnal flower. It is very pretty as well, isn't it, around the hedgerows and the gardens. Um, what would be your favourite? Well, I like a heather honey, but it's a pig to extract, so <laughs> I'm not so keen on having it. But I think there's quite a lot of heather in the one that I brought. And heather honey is one of the very few that does not granulate. And if it does granulate, it has a very big granule in it. And usually it sits at the bottom or suspended inside the honey. And it's very gelatinous. But um, the other honeys should all granulate. And if they don't, you know it's been either heat treated or it's had every vestige of pollen taken out of it. And that's what they need for these squeezy bears. And if you buy a jar of honey at this time of the year, if it's runny... 
then it's it's just sugary water. But it's quite individual, actually. Some people like one type of honey and some people like another. It's like manuka honey in the native New Zealand. The New Zealanders loathed it. So that's why they actually found a couple of students, well, a couple of students looked at it to see whether it could be used for anything because they used to feed it to their pigs and throw it away because nobody liked it. It had such a strong flavour. It really does. And then these two lads put them on Petri dishes with other honeys and things and they discovered that that was the only honey that they produced that had that killed all the bacteria that they introduced. And they thought, wow, wow. we're onto a winner here. Absolutely. But there's been work done since that in places like Ireland and it is reckoned that heather honey is probably almost as good, if not better. Well, fancy that. And we have it here right on our island. We do. So tonight's winner was Gwen. Hers was, was, her, was, her, was Gwen's crystallised? Yes, she had one crystallised and one not. And you can actually just put them in, sit the jar in hot water and allow it to melt again. And it will become runny. It doesn't have quite the flavour of when it first came out of the hive, but it's certainly probably easier to deal with if you want to put it in a cake or you want to put it on your toast. Would you agree with the winning tasting one? Oh yes, yes, there's some lovely flavours tonight. And actually I almost preferred them to my own. (laughs) But then you can't really say to the bees, you're only going to that flower and not that one. (laughs) You take what you get. (laughs) Well this is it, we were talking earlier that um, some of the honeybees were from Santon and even just a few metres apart they tasted so very different. I'm not really certain as to why that would be, but I assume that when a particular hive gets to have the maximum number of bees in it during the summer, maybe there's a particular flora that's ready and willing to be pollinated. So, Who knows? Yes. And tonight also Debbie was second place in the Taste of Comedy, only two years into beekeeping and thoroughly enjoys it. She's wonderful, yes. She's such a helpful person as well. Not only is she a good beekeeper, but if you want anything doing within the Federation, she's the one to go and call on, <laughs> or one of the ones to go and call on, I should say. We're very lucky. We've had a, a long history of beekeeping on the island and the Federation, actually the Ramsey Association is the oldest and they're having their 90th birthday this year. And incredible. The Southern, we've just had our 75th anniversary, so that, they've been going a long time without a break. This is it, but the, the knowledge, the sharing of knowledge in little, you know, evenings like tonight, the tasting session for, for honey, you know, it's, it's fascinating, the information that you spread out, even now, you know, this many years on, you've been involved a little while now, and you still probably learn new things every time. Oh yes, I mean, I've kept bees for well over 40 years now, and I'm still learning. I actually run the beginner's course and uh, it's very good for you to actually make sure that you brush up your knowledge because people ask the most incredible questions and children in school because I go and talk to kids in schools and they will be the ones who ask the questions I can't answer. (laughs) They really are. They've got wonderful minds and it's great to know that they think further than just bees sting. This is it. And also tonight we learned that Ashley Hill Primary School has a bee tree yes they've got they've got some bees in the, in a hole in the tree haven't they yes but it's lovely that they, you know they're not scared of them they're, they're going to grow up with the bees there yes exactly yes and, and we do get contacted by people if there's a hive of bees close to it or sorry a colony of bees close to a school to say well look you know do you think these could be of harm because if they're at sort of head level 
it might not be a good idea because they could get stuck in a kid's hair and then children will panic. Anybody would panic with a bee in their hair. But I suppose this is where you come into it, to, to provide the education to the younger children to not be frightened of them or, or hopefully not be. Well, yes, I mean, I think swarms are the worst thing. People cannot get their heads around the fact there's so many bees when they're flying over in a swarm. I mean, we've chased swarms up and down Port Air and High Street before now when they decide that, no, they didn't really want to hang up there. They wanted to hang up somewhere else and you just go back and you get the equipment and they've gone. But, but you, you know that they're around because people are going, ah, and running them. But in fact, bees are at their gentlest when they're swarming because they're really intent on moving house and going and set up somewhere else. So that's all they're doing? They're just that's moving home? Doing. Yes, that's all they're doing. And they usually tank up on honey before they leave their original nest so that they can go and set up somewhere else because of course they don't go to the supermarket to buy all the stuff they need for their new home <laughs> they actually have to make it themselves and they make it out of the honey that they carry wow and will they travel far as a swarm mm, they could go up to a mile i suppose it really depends on the sort of place that they're looking for and whether it's available because of course they used to live in hollows in trees and we as human beings don't like that because they might fall on our car you know so we cut them all down so there's very few places and actually one of their favorites is a chimney because it's very similar to a hollow tree <laughs> and it's our own fault because we've taken away all their natural nest sites so uh, there we are. <laughs> <laughs> and that's another story. Yes, it is. <laughs> but tonight, a great success, Silla. Good, yes. Well, it's always a nice, friendly occasion where everybody has a good chat. You see, they're not going home now. <laughs> <laughs> but some of them were going up to retest some of the uh, the tasting oh, yes, samples yes. to make sure... Good excuse, isn't it? <laughs> exactly, that the real winner was chosen. Yes, I think so. Debbie Cargis, congratulations, third tonight in the honey tasting. <laughs> It is a big undertaking. Tasting honey, you think it sounds so easy, but they're all so different. I know they are really, really different, and it's amazing when they're all so uh, from such a small area on the island how different they can taste. And um, yours in particular, Debbie, are oh, no. three keepers on the one road. <laughs> yeah, we've got. Yeah, there's quite a few of us um, around our area, so um, so it's quite a pressure for the poor old bees, but they seem to do well. <laughs> but you do look after them. It, it, it does take a lot of time, doesn't it? To, to make good honey well I don't know the bees take a long time to do it <laughs> um, no they, they do very well bless them um, uh, yeah it does it, it's it's a commitment that you have to you have to look up well it can be as much of a commi- um, commitment as you make it really um, you're you, very new to beekeeping as well this is your second year so I suppose it's a big undertaking to look after them yeah I think you tend to worry much more when when it's when you're first new to it because especially at winter time because you're trying to make sure that they go through the winter and um, that you know I think one of the first beehives I opened when after I was, had done the course um, it was really sad because all the bees had um, had actually died over the winter yeah and and it was just so so awful to see all these poor bees that had just died and so yeah that really stuck with me so for a long time um so and you obviously would blame yourself and have what have i done wrong but it it does happen doesn't it hives but um yeah it was it was just yeah so you 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 really try and work hard to make sure you look after them and what do the beekeepers do at this time of year because obviously it's gone quite miserable and rainy out there now 
this time of year um, you're checking the hives um, so you're you're lifting them you don't open them um, because of it's too cold for the bees so you you lift them by one corner just to check the weight of them to see that they've, they've got enough stores in them um, you're, you're cleaning your equipment you're getting new equipment ready for next year building hives and um, yeah that's that sort of thing really and having a bit of downtime <laughs> you say uh, Debbie that obviously they've gone into their hive for the winter uh, on the build up to go and to settle for the winter can people feed them can they put stuff out for the bees to take back definitely not definitely not um if you see a bumblebee or something like that laying around and looking like it's, it's, it's looking a bit sorry for itself, give a bit of fizzy drink, a bit of lemonade or a bit of sugar syrup, something like that, but never, ever, ever honey. Um, it, they carry so many things that will, will pass on um, and it's really dangerous to, to feed bees honey. And what would you do for your hive before winter? Would you put something ready for them? Yeah, um, before winter time I feed them um, a sugar syrup um, and um, so I give them as, as much of that as I can until about November time when it gets too cold for the water to evaporate um, and they take that and store that um, as as fake nectar I suppose and then once it gets to winter time I give them um, if they need it um, fondant which is just what you put on your Christmas cake basically. And will will they take it up or you know do you have to monitor it quite closely? I have put some out for mine um, but I've probably been over cautious I probably don't need to. um, And is this quite a mild winter for them because temperatures even this week were you 10 to sort of 12 degrees yeah. I mean yeah my, my bees were out flying today um, wow, what yeah, a so it was, it was it was nice to see that and at this time of year they'll still be taking things like um, ivy, uh, ivy um, poly, um, nectar um, on a hot sunny day so, uh, so yeah they'll be taking things and then fairly soon they'll be starting to take things like snowdrops and various trees and, and things like that willows quite early I think so um, but it's quite surprising I've learned so much in, in just coming along uh, you know as a spectator to, to the beekeeping events and meetings that are on but you know, like, like the sycamore tree and and like you say the hibbon and the ivy you just think it's a, a green bush oh, and, I know, and because yeah. you always relate them to flowery beautiful colourful yeah, vibes yeah you don't do you? don't you you do you don't um it's fascinating to to know just how important trees are actually as well as flowers it's it's um people always think of, of bees and flowers but it's not it's the trees as well um and you can't necessarily see the, the flowers but they are still having um, nectar coming out of them and things so uh yeah it's really really important and people always try to help the bees obviously because they're so important to the, to the circle of life what, what would you recommend to someone with maybe a window box or a little garden can they help definitely definitely um one of the main things that I've learned is to, when you look out for flowers, you know how you get some double flowers yeah. and you, then you get single flowers as well. But go for the single flowers because then they can get the, um, uh, they, they tend to have the nectar and the pollen a lot more than the, than the double blooms do. Um, so that's one big way. And just having a variety of things um, and, and not being afraid of bees. I think that's a big thing. A lot of people are afraid of them, but they tend to only uh, affect you if, if, if you push them away and, and stuff like that so yeah and I do believe that the Manx bee is, is quite a, a gentle giant the, the more common natured yeah. ones seem to be the ones that get kept more so now yeah yeah and uh, because no bees have been imported into the island for so many years um, the, the Manx bee is is becoming much more prevalent and it's a very dark bee it looks um, not like your normal 
sort of a, a very yellow bee. This is this is much much darker, and um, generally a, a much calmer bee. Um, you still get stings, but <laughs> you learn to live with those. <laughs> so the, the honey this year has it been in abundance for you? No. <laughs> It was quite a wet, you know, on and off throughout the year, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, um, my queen went off lay in the middle of the year, so, um, so yeah, that meant that I nearly lost the hive, um, but they, they pulled themselves together because it got so cold in May time, May, June time, and so, um, yeah, that, that was a bit of a tricky situation, but good learning curve. <laughs> and like you say, only been in it two years. You know, it, have you enjoyed it so far? Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's really, um, really good fun. And the more you learn, the more the more you realise you don't know. And being in places, you know, places like this where you can pick people's brains and, um, you know, so many more experienced beekeepers, it's really useful. And they're always so useful and, and willing to, to help and chat and, and give you hints and things like that, which is really lovely. But you don't have to have a hive to come along and and, you know, join in, do you? No, no, absolutely not. No, um, there's a lot of people who, who come along and, and uh, you know, are just supporters, really. Um, and all the, the new beekeepers have been invited along and things like that. So, uh, yeah. Glad you've done it? Definitely, definitely. Good fun. <laughs> Lots to learn, but good fun. Gwen Kelly, congratulations. Another winner. <laughs> Tonight was a little bit different. You know, a group of people test, uh, tasting the honey. But yours was right up there, 10 points clear at the top. What made yours so different? I don't know, really. There were some very delicious honeys here tonight, yeah. and they were all different, and um, people just seemed to like my one. So, what, what do you think your bees would feed on sort of to make it have that little bit of an edge? Would there be something different where you're farming at? We have a lot of clover, a lot of white clover in the fields through the summer. We have a lot of hawthorn on the hedges. And we've got garlic in Port Sardrick Glen yeah, yeah. and sycamores and lots of trees in the Glen and roundabout. So maybe it's just a combination of all these factors. Obviously, they're all quite sweet, but there was a bit of variation. One lady suggested one taste a bit more daffodils, one a bit more woody. You know, could you taste them amongst them too? I could taste the um, citrus flavours from the one at, uh, from the Slock yeah. and from the Rich Richmond Hill, but daffodils don't have any nectar or pollen in them whatever they are completely useless for bees isn't that amazing because you see lots of people thinking oh we plant a good few bulbs not only does it look lovely on the roadsides come in the early spring but but they're of no use are they that's just no. the, the terrible thing that we didn't know maybe dandelions are they're the best and they're the very ones everyone gets out with a strimmer and tries to get shut off isn't it exactly <laughs> yes so the winter's come. What's, what happens now in early spring? Where do you start off for the next year? Um, the queen will start laying in February. Um, at the moment, we go round and heft the hives, which means lift them. If they're very light, we go home and get uh, fondant icing for them and put a block of maybe six or eight ounces of fondant icing on the top of the hive, and that will keep them alive until um, March and April when there's more fodder for them. Debbie was saying tonight that they've even been out a little bit lately. Yeah. You know, it's been mild enough for them this winter. Yeah, if it's a nice, calm, sunny day, they'll be out on cleansing flights and looking to see if there's anything. Uh, the snowdrops are coming out slowly, mm. and snowdrops and uh, willow are some of the first nectar-producing plants for them. 
So, so the cycle starts all over again. But tonight, which was your favourite? Don't obviously it must be quite tricky having your own, and you can't be biased. But what was yours out of the tasting competition? There's seven lovely jars there. Um, I like jar F, and I don't know it was that John's hi from uh, from Bollabeg. That was very nice. I like that. That was a very creamy one, uh, as, quite a soft set honey as well, and it was nice. And what do you think his bees would have been having a little bit different from yours, maybe? Uh, I don't know. Mm. There's lots of gardens around Bollabeg and Ronig, yeah. so it could be some trees there that we haven't got, and um, they just go visit them, so it might just give a, an edge to that. Well, I can't get over how fascinating it is, that, you know, all from the south of the island. The, the Isle of Man is such a small place, but the, the variation in colours and tastes and uh, right across the board tonight, and quite prominent, weren't they? All very different. They were all very different, yes. And how will that go with the sales? You know, do, do we all sell on the doorstep, the farmers' markets? How do Manx people get a hold of the Manx honey? Um, the garden centres, uh, Tom Long's garden centre in Alexander Drive, he sells Manx honey. Um, Eden Park, they sell Manx honey. Lots of the chemist shops in Douglas, they'll sell Manx honey. There's even um, butcher shops on Prospect Terrace that sell laxi honey there. So, they, so people can get it then. And if you want to get involved with the beekeeping, Gwen, how would they get hold of someone to give them some guidance? Um, if you look on your computer, Isle of Man Beekeepers have got a website and a Facebook page and contact any of the beekeepers. Uh, we are the southern beekeepers here at, uh, in the south of the island and uh, Silla Platt is the chairman. You can join the beekeeping society You can and take lessons. We have the lessons going, starting now and running through and then in May you can come along to the apiary at Moroun and uh, put a bee, we'll, we'll supply you with a bee suit, bring your own wellies and gloves and <laughs> you can have a look in the hives and see if it's beekeeping is of is what you want to do and that there the opportunity Gwen to, to get up close and personal with with the beekeeper but it's they're so important to life aren't they people don't realize how important they are well the, there's been various surveys and said that the bee is the most important insect on or animal on the on the planet so without bees there'll be no fruit to be pollinated there'll be no um, lots of the vegetables and plants need bees to pollinate them get involved where we can isn't it really they've discovered in china where they've drenched everything in pesticide they have to go around and with a feather to pollinate all their pear trees so uh, oh hopefully we'll never get <laughs> to that <laughs> stage that was the organizer of the southern beekeepers tasting evening in Silla Platt and two of the prize winners gwen kelly and debbie carcass did you get a bit of taste of honey yourself my golly it was beautiful was simon it? really good Runny or stiff? Both. All right. Yes, and they were telling me all about how to make the perfect honey and the quality we have on the Isle of Man is second to none. And they say that some of the properties in the heather honey is that of the manuka. So that does bode well. But It's got the medicinal properties, hasn't it? This yeah. is it. And, and at the honey show they had there back in October, November time, they had a class for the different items made from the honey and there was the medicines the facials all these things that you take for granted from a little animal pottering around doing his own thing Mm -hmm. out there but um what a great evening but the tastes were just divine remarkable stiff or runny for you i like the creamy one in the middle i did oh right gwen kelly's from port sodrick yeah i I quite like the stiffer stuff with like the sugary crystals in it you know that spreads on the toast nicely (laughs) 
You're listening to Countryside here on Manx Radio with Kiri Kermode and myself, Simon Clark. Well, for many years, not just at the Royal Manx Agricultural Show, the Southern Show, the people who own poultry and birds, guinea pigs, rabbits, cavies, all sorts of things, uh, get the chance to display them and win some prizes at the annual Fur and Feather Society shows. Well, the Ramsey branch held theirs at the Parish Hall in Andreas last weekend, and I popped along and spoke to two of the judges, Joe Harrison and also Andrew Wormsley. Joe Harrison, uh, you're in charge of the poultry section, is it? I am, yeah. Yeah, and uh, how's it been looking today? Yeah, it's been good. There's been strong entries in the um, in the large fowl and that. There's a good variety of birds, variety of colours. Yeah, it's been a it's been a, not a bad entry really. Yeah, uh, but I mean, people who who's used to seeing uh, the the hens and things on the farmyard so they won't realize that there's so many different breeds and colors and sizes of poultry isn't it yeah there's shapes colors creeds they're all all different colors of, of, of varieties of birds it's um it'd be good to get you know get down and have a look and you know there's, there's usually something that takes the eye for, for everybody really yeah now you i suppose are more used to judge before you were telling me yes. um but you, you quite uh, prominent in in showing the poultry yourself yes yeah um i show modern game um just small exhibition breed um large modern game and plymouth rocks which are like a which will you class as a more of a farmyard utility style breed good egg laying breed yeah and what what, what got you into uh, showing the poultry my dad um has always had poultry i live on a small holding um or a small farm you could say and um always had poultry and things around mm. um so yeah, from, from a young age, um, always been, you know, involved in poultry and interested, yeah. Um, first time in the Isle of Man on the, on the poultry side of things? Yes, yeah. been here probably five or six times before rallying, on the car rally, and, um, yeah. Bit of a contrast then? Yeah, definitely, yeah, I have uh, many hobbies, and, um, yeah, yeah, lo- love the island, quick to get to for us, so it's a uh, plane, so it's all right, 20 minutes or so. Are you allowed to bring any yourself to show? Well, I, I would, you know, yeah, in the summer. Yeah. Yeah, summer shows, it'd be all right on board. Yeah, it'd be all right, yeah. Yeah, because uh, some of the, the ones on the Isle of Man do head over to the shows away, so just that sort of interest, whether any many come over to the island? I've not noticed anybody come over, you know, to yeah. the island, but it would be um, it would help support as well these shows um, to keep them going on the island as well. Um, going back to the, the breeds of poultry, then how, how many do you reckon there would be if you, if you totaled them all up? The, they're available in the UK probably is well over 100 really oh well over 100 breeds available yeah and that's just chickens alone then obviously you've your ducks your geese turkeys guinea fowl you know all come under the banner of poultry so any decisions made yet all decisions made are they yes but yeah. kept till the presentation yes good well anyway good to talk to you and uh, good to see you on the no arm man thank you Andrew Wormsley, uh, you're one of the judges as well, but you're judging a different section. Yeah, I'm judging the Cajun Airy section, canaries, foreign finches, seed eaters, budgies, um, all types of cage birds, really. And it's good to see a lot, a lot of younger ones coming around because, you know, the, there's loads of different colours and, and sizes and breeds of the poultry side, and particularly in them cage birds as well, the colours oh, are fantastic. There's, there's hundreds of colours, and there's lots of different types of, and varieties of birds that we keep. Um, I mean, I'm a budgie breeder myself. I also keep poultry. Um, I live on a small holding, um, and I love both both sides of the hobby, both poultry and the cage birds. 
but predominantly I breed budgery guys and show a lot of budgery guys up and down the country. Um, when we were kids, there was an odd budgery guy in a cage in a house and stuff, but when you look at, when you get to the chance to come to these shows, it's amazing how many different uh, types and, and colours there are available. Oh yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the, the canaries today have been absolutely fantastic, some beautiful canaries and, and some, uh, well, the, I picked the, my best in shows of canary, it was a beautiful uh, bird, it was it was a split decision between two two canaries, the best in show. I, I had a job to split them myself because the, the quality was that good. And what, what do you look at? The, 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 the brightness at, of the colour, the shape of the bird? Or? The shape, the colour, the feathering, uh, how tight the feathering are, if they've got any uh, feathers missing. You know, you just check and in general look at them, make sure that they look perfect. Um, you, you know, you're just looking for quality. You, you, usually when you put a bird up, in your own eye, you, you pick one out and you can see it stands above the rest. When you're looking at them at home and uh, getting them ready for the shows, do you have a fair idea of which ones of your own are going to do well? Uh, you want, <laughs> there's ones you hope are going to do well, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, it, it's like any day. Uh, um, you go to any show, you can win at one show with five birds, and you can the same take the five birds to the next show, and under different judges, they might not do nothing. Mm. There's no guarantee, it's the judge on the day, what, what his interpretation of the feathering is, the, the overall quality of the bird, it's every judge's own decision. But it seems a hobby that um, does take a lot of uh, tender love and care involved in it. Oh yeah, I mean I spend too much time in my bird room really, my wife, uh, she goes mad. Um, she keeps wanting to know how many birds I've got, but I keep forgetting to tell her. <laughs> uh, but it's a great hobby. Uh, I, I, you know, I've done it since I was little, uh, and I'm still in it now. Well, we'll let you crack on Lovely. and uh, have a look around them. Thanks for talking to us today. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Andrew Wormsley and before that, Joe Harrison telling me about uh, their judging techniques for coming to the Isle of Man from Lancaster and also uh, a bit about their background with uh, displaying them and uh, supporting the shows uh, back home in Lancashire where they're from. So uh, not quite as many as thought turned out, but still there was a a lovely presentation there with the birds, all different sizes and also the canaries and the budgies, John Keenan had there some wonderful ones and uh, David Thompson as well it was a good display and a lot of young and old which is nice it is really lovely to go to those fur and feather shows and if anybody does get a chance to pop along there's a few more coming throughout the year but the effort Simon that goes in to prepare them you don't think you can wash a hen or a rooster but you can the hours that go into getting the feathers just nicely all of the feeding regimes to get the coats to shine so so pristine for that event you know it's no different than if you're showing a bigger animal whether it's a cow or a horse or any other things that go in these shows the work that goes into it is just second to none it is well you can tame most things except a woman <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it just gives me a little note to say that the 93rd annual Onken Fur and Feather Society show uh, for poultry, pigeons cats cavies rabbits and cage birds that will be held also at the Andreas Parish Hall on Sunday the 2nd of February 2020 and entries close on the 17th of January for that so uh, you can get in touch uh, with Tina Johnsey for that one all the details will be on the Facebook pages 
So one last thing before we go, Simon. The Isle of Man Federation of Young Farmers are going green for Australia to help with those terrible, terrible bushfires. And um, on Friday the 17th, they're asking if people can wear green and a minimum donation of £2 a person. So if you know a company that wants to get involved, please let them know before Wednesday the 15th by emailing the Isle of Man Young Farmers at Outlook.com and um, they'll be able to send you the fundraising package and more information It's absolutely horrendous out in Australia at the minute with the wildlife, whether it's kangaroos, koalas, but also the livestock, the farmers that are in absolute dire need and there's nothing left to eat, have they? So it's just an absolute mess. No, it is. It's tragic what can be happening uh, around the world, isn't it? And sometimes you've got to think yourself lucky that we do live on the Isle of Man. You know, we do moan about it, but... uh, you know, we don't have to be subject to, to those sort of things. The, the volatile weather. Snow, oh, it's it? terrible. OK, well, we'll leave it there for this week's Country Said. We're back next week on more. If you missed parts of the programme, catch up online at maxradio.com and uh, you can download the podcast or the Listen Again feature. And if you've got anything for Countryside, leave a message for Kiri Kumar or Simon Clark here at Max Radio or send an email to countryside at maxradio.com. So until next week, from me, Simon Clark. And me, Kiri Kumar. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.